This episode of Off Air with Jane and Fee is brought to you by British Heart Foundation. British Heart Foundation have estimated that up to 7.6 million people are living with heart and circulatory diseases in the UK. And there is something we can all do to help fund life-saving research. And don't worry, Fee, we don't all need to run marathons to fundraise today. Over 50% of their research is funded by gifts in wills. Now, these are really vital in supporting life-saving research. It's such a remarkably positive thing we can all do and definitely something to consider if you are writing your will or thinking of updating it. With a simple act, you can support future scientific breakthroughs that could help save and improve millions of lives. British Heart Foundation offers a free will guide and free will writing services too, helping to make the process as easy as possible. To download your free will guide today and help British Heart Foundation fund life-saving research, search BHF Wills. Is this recording? Yes. I have been to Vegas. <laughs> okay, and? Well, I know it divides people, mm. Vegas, and I did a road trip with one of my best mates and her brother back in... Actually, I have to correct that, with my best mate and her brother, because she might listen. Um, and when was it? I'm just trying to think. It was 95. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I had been to America before, but only once, and we were driving, I think... This is a long story. Well, it's not a long story. It feels like a long story, because it's me telling it, and I'm bored already. I think we drove across the course of a day, because you can do this, from... Arizona to Vegas. Would that be right? Yeah. 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 So from, from Yosemite to Vegas? No, Yosemite is further north. But oh, anyway, anyway, geography is not important. No, it isn't. But I remember, the, the you know, when you're driving across the desert and you suddenly, it's really relatively sudden, you suddenly see the lights of Vegas in the desert. And it's just absurd. And for me... It never stopped being absurd, and I couldn't get out there quickly enough. No, th- this is why I was interested to ask you, because, um, yeah, I every time I've been to Vegas, mm. I always feel like I'm being held hostage every single time I'm there. Right. I've been on Hindus there that oh make, that, make that film The Hangover look like Frozen, honestly. But even when I've been there for work, I just cannot get out of there quickly enough. It's sort of, there's something about it that makes me feel deeply uncomfortable but but i know people who love it anyway it's a strange strange place yeah but is it the synthetic nature of everything that gets to you what is it i'm not i'm not quite sure um it just makes me feel like i've been there forever and i need to get out have you stayed in one of those novelty hotels in vegas oh they're all a bit novelty. well they are a bit which is the best or worst depending on your viewpoint um well, Caesar's Palace, the place where where the woman was held hostage today. She is safe, by the way. She, yes. did, she did. She did get out. That's pretty awful. I mean, a, a fake Greek city mm. uh, inside mm. Vegas. Um, there's um, the one that's fake France, which is a bit weird. Um, Paris, Texas, or no, it's Paris, oh. France. Um, it's got a fake Eiffel Tower in it. Things like that. I mean, it's it's just all deeply, deeply weird. And. Um, there's just hundreds of thousands of people everywhere just going to very expensive restaurants and then drinking through the night in, you know, in casinos that mm. pump oxygen in to keep you drinking and gambling. Mm. And what could possibly go wrong? And they're all on the slots wearing adult nappies. Yeah, it? smoking yeah. inside. Okay. Well, we're t- anyway, anyway, moving on. Yes, well, do take me there. Um, <laughs> I really can't wait. People get married there. Oh, anyway. Yeah, anyway. yeah, I just couldn't think of anything worse. No. Uh, big guest today, 
David Tennant. Uh, we'll talk about him in a moment or two. Uh, you were saying yesterday you haven't interviewed him. No, no. I've, I've had the pleasure. And you'll, I'm not going to say any more, but if you listen to the end of the interview with David Tennant, you'll hear from me a kind of an attempt, I suppose you could loosely call it an attempt at humour, and um, didn't really land. He just didn't know what to do with it, but then I can't really blame him. Um, and anyway, just listen. Jane, I'd like to say that you may not you may not know this, but you are known for comedy. <laughs> she doesn't know how to take that either. Um, can I read this first email, which is about David Tennant? Yes. Um, so this message comes from someone who I'm not going to name because she says, uh, I don't know whether you should read this out or not. However, I shall tell you, I have seen David Tennant completely in the nude. A Shakespeare play in Manchester, she goes on. Aww. Macbeth, if my memory serves me right. I can't really remember the nude scenes in Macbeth. Anyway, the opening scene is him no. taking a shower. I was sat facing him, so got the full frontal view. It is a thought that comes to mind when I see him on the telly from time to time. Warm regards. Uh, lacking in detail, that email, in some <laughs> yeah. ways, but but thank you very much. I think it's enough. Is there a shower scene in Macbeth? It's a different Macbeth to the one I read at Jesus. That sounds to me a little bit like fruity Macbeth, which has <laughs> so far passed me by. This is a much, as you might expect from the other Jane, me, a, a much cleaner and more respectable email on the same <laughs> subject. I, I wish you'd been able to tell David Tennant how delighted my family were when Jodie Whittaker as the doctor regenerated into David last year. Now, um, I don't watch Doctor Who. Do you watch it? Not for a while. No. It, I'm afraid it's one of those things that you are either in the club, and by the way, good luck to you, because I know it yeah. means a tremendous amount to people. By a while, I mean about 30 years. Yeah, but I respect the fact that it's a hugely popular show. I'm completely on the same page as you. Um, it means a great deal to people, and good luck to them. They do no harm. Anyway, um, Joanna says... Uh, we were sat there watching the series finale and to our complete surprise and total delight, the Doctor regenerated and it was David Tennant. My 14-year-old son and I screamed his name out loud several times. It's David Tennant! It's David Tennant! Uh, my 15-year-old daughter ran downstairs to see what all the fuss was about. You must have been loud because to, to get a 15-year-old girl to come downstairs to interact <laughs> with the rest of the family, that's phenomenal. So the racket must have been off the scale. Uh, Joanna says it was a truly magic moment David has and always will be our family's favourite Doctor Who. We are so looking forward to watching the next series. There we go. Right, uh, um, what else have you got, Jane? So there seems to be a new theme uh, that has begun in the last couple of days, Jane. Penny Farthing Watch. Oh, yes. Um, you, yes I've got are... numerous emails yes, here about weird. penny farthing spots around so, the country. So it's not just... <laughs> Who knew? It's not just Jeremy Vine. No. By the way, can we just say, and just a slightly sarky note here, it's very unusual for me, but um, this unnamed BBC presenter saga is now somewhat developing into kind of Jeremy Vine week. Yeah. Um, and I'm beginning to wonder whether, I don't know, is it his place to put himself... I have sympathy... I do have sympathy, but he's everywhere. You can't shift for him. Yeah, he does seem Am to I have taken unfair? it upon himself to... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe he's the only person. Maybe they've nominated him as, uh, you know, shop steward for calling for this person's resignation. Well, he's maybe like... they all got together in the forecourt and said, <laughs> Jeremy, you're good at this. You be shop steward yeah, for, for BBC. point, actually. Have all the male BBC personalities, presenters, call them what you like to make, just to make certain that you don't in any way point to the identity of the unnamed individual. Um, yeah, maybe they all got together, had a meeting and designated Big yeah. Jez, the, the, the gob on the gob on the stick. Exactly, the gob on the stick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and the and yeah the penny farthing um so uh, dear jane and jane spotted yesterday en route between saffron walden and cambridge mm. penny farthing negotiating a very busy roundabout <laughs> commuting man obviously incongruously not in a flat cap but full lycra cycling garb Thanks to you, I was able to inwardly tut in the knowledge that no less an authority than James May considers this a danger to other road users. Yes, and he's quite right, right too. Yeah. I mean, I also do think if you are going to don an outfit for penny farthing mm. riding, I mean, go all the way and get some tweed on. Don't I mean, wear lycra on no, a penny farthing. Don't go, don't. A t- that's mixing it all up. I'm thinking sort of Fenland. It's quite flat, isn't it? And that's that, true. You know what that'll be? That'll be an academic on the long university holiday, <laughs> won't it? <laughs> Oh, no, it, it will be one of those. Taking time off from ancient Rome, mm, Roman studies, all and the... just cycling out to Ely. Just to get some respite <laughs> from all the pressure. No, I don't mean that, because there's some very hard-working people in our universities, Jane. Yes, Jane. And do you have any other penny-farthing sightings? Yes, absolutely. Another one from Beckenham. News that we have a gentleman resident who spends much of his time faffing around on a penny-farthing. This one, however, in full Sherlock Holmes attire, plunging us all into chaos whenever our paths cross. I mean, at least he's dressed appropriately. Um, This listener says, if you and Jeremy Vine ever fancy a visit to the South London Badlands, give me a shout and we can all sit on a bus stop bench watching him wobble past. (laughs) Okay. That sounds like a great way to spend an afternoon, to be I honest. I could do that over the weekend, actually, so I, I will definitely... I'll get the details. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, what we're missing so far is a woman on a penny farthing. So if you've seen one, uh, we desperately need to hear from you. Jane and Fee at times.radio. Even in her absence, she's still very much a part of the email address. I mean, it's difficult with our bustles, isn't it, on the it, penny farthing? That, that actually it's really prob- difficult. It's probably right, isn't it? it the, is the penny right. farthing, of course, was not designed for a woman. No! No. No. Um, I mean, women weren't even... They had to ride side-saddle, didn't they? Do you remember when the old queen used to do Trooping the Colour side-saddle? No. She did. She did. I mean, she was obviously a, a phenomenal horsewoman. But it was just like it would have been unseemly for her to ride the other way. <laughs> you know, all sorts of things can happen, can't they? Oh, when well, you ride. I'm afraid we can't go there, Jane. <laughs> um, still... oh, the third, third, just yes. third and last, oh, final goodness, penny farthing. One. Final penny farthing in Kent. Um, so uh, this is from a listener who says. Um, Wanted to let you know, another chap regularly rides this penny farthing, uh, the supremely talented musician Tom Carradine, famous here in Kent and also in London for his fabulous Cockney sing-alongs. Uh, the listener says, I didn't think I'd ever be saying excitedly, look at the penny farthing to our three-year-old daughter. <laughs> but here we are. Right. Uh, and she'll treasure that moment. It's a new sport for Actually, the summer. Imagine, so you're three and you see somebody on a penny farthing. Will she remember that when she's 100? She might do. What was that man with the big wheels and the small stabilisers? And she'll try and tell weird. her great-grandchildren about it and they'll go, well. Um, somebody, oh, Sarah. Thank you very much, Sarah. Um, Sarah says that um, they are listening to me and she means the BBC, because they've just done an article on the BBC website uh, connecting threads, that's uh, Meta's answer to Twitter, to the horrific post-apocalyptic BBC film threads, which I'm still haunted by. You're quite right. If you want to find that, it's on the BBC website, Threads, the BBC drama, which affected a generation of viewers. And uh, I'm still surprised that Meta didn't check the name out and thought that Threads would be an inviting place for people like me to go. And because of that... 
blooming thing I still can't get out of my head, uh, directed by Mick Jackson. I cannot join threads. But thank you, Sarah, for drawing my attention to that article. I think that's fine, Jane. You've got you've got plenty to do with your time. You don't need to join yet another social media platform, do you? When you say plenty of things to do. (laughs) It's very kind of you. Um, Now, Catelyn Moran was on Off Air last week because she was on the Times Radio Show talking about her book, What About Men? And there has been a fair amount of criticism of the book, as well as many people saying uh, how interesting they are finding it. Liz says, I listened with interest to your interview with Catelyn. I read excerpts from her new book in the Times and a couple of reviews, most notably the widely shared and very critical one in the New Statesman and another one in The Critic. Now, as a woman and a feminist, not the fun kind, I'm afraid I completely agree with her male critics. My main beef with her book is that it's just lazy. lazy. It reads as if it's been dashed off, with Catelyn doing little research and instead making wild assumptions based on nothing more than chats with a few friends and her Twitter followers. There are no books on fatherhood. This is patently untrue. Just last week, the acclaimed novelist Richard Ford talked about his latest novel, which is about a father and son going on a road trip, and then talked about his male friendships. No books for inspiring boys about being inspiring men? What? I bought my son such a book five or six years ago. They are there if you bother to check. There are also many substacks. That's another online journalism site where you can read all yes. sorts of articles yeah and Liz says there are lots of substacks about fatherhood too uh, it's a long email Liz and thank you very much for it um, I mean I, I did read What About Men cover to cover and yes I suppose you could argue there are some generalisations did the book make me think absolutely it did has it started loads of probably quite difficult conversations yes uh, and is it a success enormously so it's already number one in the bestsellers chart okay. um, but I think it is about asking questions, isn't yeah. it? About starting conversations. Perhaps Catelyn hasn't answered all of them herself. Well, she can't. But no, she can't. Um, and I feel like this is a topic that we're only really just starting to talk about um, in great depth. Yeah. Um, so the fact that she's taking it to the next place, I think, can only be a positive. And putting herself out there and knowing that she's going to get slagged off because this time she's talking about men and not women... You could really say that's a brave thing to do um, because she she doesn't she doesn't need to make herself um, the target of potential criticism, does she? She's she can just carry on writing brilliantly for the Times. Yeah, I also want to know in what way, Liz, are you not a fun feminist? <laughs> well, I mean, well, am I? How's that distinction? I mean, I am a feminist. I, don't know I think you're pretty fun, Jane. Mm. I mean, you're going to Aspects of Love later tonight. Oh, dear God, you've just reminded me. Um, <laughs> sorry. Excitement. I mean, no, I shouldn't say that because Michael Ball, who um, I'm speaking to next week, woo, my voice went all bright there and bubbly <laughs> when I remembered why I was going to Aspects of Love. If I'm honest, it's just that you're listening to us talking now. It's 20 past five and I'm just thinking, well, the show doesn't start until half seven. I've got to schlep onto the tube and... Are you going to are you going to go home first, or are you just going to no, cut I, some time? I live the other side in a Starbucks or yeah, something. Go to a Starbucks. Yeah, get yourself a toasty. Get yourself a toasty. Maybe a maybe a small espresso just to pick yourself up. Get I'm, you through. I'm meeting a friend, and um, she's going to see him outside. But I think she won't mind me saying that she's already been to the matinee of Aspects of Love today. Good lord, she's. She's doubling up she on Michael t- Ball. Well, she pays she's for her back-to-back back ball. Tonight's a freebie with me, you see. Wow. Yeah. She is a fan. She is a fan. I mean, well, yeah. Good Lord. I, well, that's not good Lord. He's a very popular... But ent- twice in a day. It's a lot yeah, of ball. well, 
I know, but some people sit and watch two cricket matches in a day or a load of tennis, won't they? But they usually go differently if if it's two different matches, don't they? It's not exactly the same. Well, it might be. They might do a twist. That's true. Live theatre. Who knows? The jeopardy. The show, anything could happen. The show must go on, but anything could happen. Anything. Um, this is from Helen. We'll get on to David Tennant in a moment or two. Um, it's from Helen uh, in regard to Catherine Faulkner, who was a guest on the programme yesterday, uh, talking about her novel. She was also on Off-Air as well, The Other Mothers. Uh, Helen says, I found that conversation with Catherine uh, quite intriguing because what she's describing is what I was expecting when my daughter started her foundation year, but it's not what I've been through. The more I've reflected on it as the now more seasoned mum of a five-year-old, the more I think my expectations of what motherhood would be like were heavily influenced by television and books, but the reality has been quite different. I've never really gelled with another group of mums, never found the common ground of having children is enough to form a sort of friendship. When my daughter first started school, I put so much pressure on myself to fit in with the other mothers in particular. I was so convinced that if I didn't make friends with the other mums, then my daughter would be a pariah. What I forgot is that kids are generally much better at that sort of stuff than adults. She's made loads of friends without my help. And it also helped my feelings about the whole school gates thing when my husband pointed out it's likely because we're not from here. We moved to our small rural town five years ago, whereas many of the parents at the school gates have lived here for much longer and have known each other since they were much younger. I think age is a factor as well. Before my daughter started school, I always thought of myself as an averagely aged mum. I had her at 32, but it turns out a lot of my parents... A lot of the parents are a good decade younger than me. I'm also one of the only mums who works full-time, albeit in a flexible role from home. Uh, I wonder if any other rural mums have felt similar difference, differences to the actual experience of the school gates and what they were maybe expecting. Or if you're just not a massively confident person yourself, do you find the school gates a bit of a gauntlet certainly for the first couple of terms. Um, really interesting questions there, Helen. Thank you. And, yeah, I imagine that... I don't know. I, I think because I'd already met some, some other mothers before my children started school, we sort of had each other. But I, I'm a very sort of change-resistant individual, so there was no way my kids were going to change school, we're never going to move, um, and I'm going to be carried out of my house in a box, Jane. I, I really am. I think it is a really interesting kind of challenge because mm. it is a subculture mums at the school gates is Definitely. a subculture not forever it's a sort of temporal yeah. subculture that that you do feel like you have to work hard to get into it's worse now because whatsapp groups and yeah. I, I don't have children but obviously many of my friends do i'm in my mid-40s and so many of my friends have small children and they have to buy into the mum's whatsapp group and you know sometimes they meet people they like often they're people who they just feel like they're people they are sharing some kind of trenches with. And mm. it's helpful to have people who can do, you know, after-school play dates, drop-ups, yeah. pick-ups, if you're going to be late. And actually, I think some of my friends just see them as colleagues, in a way. They're oh, of, they are. They're sort of colleagues, yeah. yeah. You're, you're working at this place for several years and uh, you're just going to get on and get on with them and maybe have them around for a barbecue occasionally and the kids can have a nice time. But mm. they might not be your friends for life. But it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't matter if you can all help each other out. And there doesn't need to be any backbiting. But Catherine did mention mm. that there is a kind of... Sometimes there's a hierarchy in WhatsApp groups. You get the, who's the admin? Who do they let in? <laughs> uh, can you, If you're the admin, can you chuck people out? 
I don't think you can chuck people out. You can add new people. You can chuck people out. You can chuck people out. Oh, Matt knows. Matt knows, Have you chucked people out of WhatsApp groups, Matt? Oh, he's not doing... He seemed like such a nice lad. He did seem nice. Now I'm nervous. Yeah, well, I don't think I'm currently in a WhatsApp group with you, Jane. (laughs) Not all with Matt. All with Matt. Listen, I remain the eternal optimist. Uh, thank you. Let us now bring in to our happy house thespian giant David Tennant. Um, he is today's big interview. Uh, he came in to talk about, well, just about everything, actually, on his CV. How he started, Doctor Who, there she goes. Uh, but we started with the second series of Good Omens, uh, which comes out later on this month, and I asked him to tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's from the mind or the minds of Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, a novel they wrote many, many years ago now. Uh, although we we only made, we turned it into a TV show four years ago, the first series came out, and it was always intended as a one-off. It's it, it's about uh, an angel who is heaven's emissary on earth. That's a zero field played by Michael Sheen, and a demon who is hell's emissary on earth, and that's Crowley, and that's me. Uh, and they have been together on earth throughout the millennia. One doing heaven's work, one doing hell's work, and they work out quite early on that actually they can reduce their respective workloads quite considerably by uh, cancelling each other out a little bit. Mm. Uh, So they uh, quite cleverly over the many centuries uh, become, become, although they would never admit it, they become firm friends. And then Jesus is being re-delivered to earth. The second coming is scheduled. They realise that that means the end times are nigh. They set out to avert that. They avert the apocalypse. As a result of that, they get cut off from their respective head offices. So series two begins with them as free agents living yeah. on Earth. Yeah, well, one is running a bookshop, but that's exactly. not you, sadly. That's you, not me, no. You're living in a car. Well, unfo- yes, unfortunately for Crowley, the apartment came with the job. So he's been kicked out and he's living in his car yeah. with his beloved pot plants. Now, you are quite close to Michael Sheen in real life and in the show. Uh, in fact, there's a, an element of a bromance between your characters, isn't there? I mean, did I detect the love that dare not speak its name between well, the devil and the angel? Crowley would never admit that. That's certainly not how he sees it. He finds all that sort of, uh, uh, you know, displays of affection uh, rather risible. Uh it's one of those relationships that people can project onto what right. they wish to see. And indeed, yeah. that has certainly happened. I think since the novel first came out and certainly since the TV show first came out, people are deciding what this relationship is. I will leave that for the, every audience member to make up their own mind. OK. I mean, when you watch something like this, I mean, I was only watching it on a laptop the other day, but um, a preview one, but the money that Amazon have got to put... I mean, it's it's brilliant it's slick it's got color the action sequences are incredible yeah. are you aware of that when you're making it that this oh, sure. is super glossy oh it feels like a rolls royce production to be part of certainly um there's been a bit of an arms race in television that production though hasn't there over the last few years and and, and uh, the expectations of the audience are such that you, you've kind of got to make it look a certain way it's got to have a certain swagger to it to kind of compete in that it's a it's a it's an overcrowded marketplace right now. So, uh, you know, you want your show to punch through and to make a... And, and, and uh, investing in... It, but it starts with the writing. It always starts with mm. that central idea. And when you've got something from the mind of Neil Gaiman, then it's worth investing in, I think. Do you ever just kick back a bit and contrast it to, I don't know, your first ever paid acting role? Um, in fact, what was it? What did you do? Well, post-drama school, it was... Uh, it was a tour of a Brecht play, The Resistible Rise of Arturo Ui. Oh, yes. And we toured around in a little van and did one night stands all over Scotland. 
uh, with 784, Scottish People's Theatre. That was my first post-drama school gig. I had done one job at drama school, an episode of a, uh, a children's drama, a bit, sort of pre-drama school, sorry, an episode of a children's drama called The Secret of Croft Moor. Um, what was that about? It, there was a family who lived on a, mother and a son who lived on a croft somewhere in the Highlands and their city folk family came to visit and I was the slightly cynical, sneery cousin. You really want the plot, plot of this? I'm really no, going into it. Not the whole it, thing. No, no, not no. the whole thing. But I mean, do you remember thinking at the time, this is me now? I oh, this is absolutely, absolutely. Right, okay. I was 16 and I had decided that, that this is what I wanted to do with my life. And my parents gave up trying to put up any resistance. And instead, my dad went, well, let's be practical about this. And he took some photographs of me in the back garden and sent them into Scottish television. And by, of course, at the time, this just felt like this is what happened. But by some, I now know how unlikely this is. They landed on the desk of a, a producer director called Haldane Duncan, who happened to be looking for a teenage boy to do this. His Don't those sliding doors moments, I know, you? yeah. Because what if it hadn't been the right day? Well, quite. I mean, it, it, there's no reason why it should have been. And, and by chance I got that and then I, that same year I went to drama school and, and that was it, yeah. So, uh, but lots of people go to drama school and then drive around doing Brecht productions. Yeah. By the way, I love the way I pretended I knew what that Brecht play was. You did, yeah. Well, I did was I? very convinced. Did I though, David? <laughs> then yeah. mind. We'll, we'll leave it in because it made me sound highly intelligent. It really did. I'm yeah. sure you know all about your Bertolt Brecht. Uh, yeah, I've certainly seen one or two of... Uh, uh, <laughs> it's a parable about the rise of Hitler. That's right. Rise yeah. of Hitler. You knew that. I think it's coming back to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there must have been loads of people at your drama school who just have never made a living out of acting. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough It is tough. ...industry, yes, that's certainly true. And Yes, and that was my aspiration, really. I just wanted to make it... Because everyone tells you you won't make a living at it. I didn't know... We didn't know actors. There weren't precedents in our life growing up. But but the received wisdom is actors don't make a living. It's not a it's not a proper job. It's not a career. It's not you won't you won't live happily ever after. So all I wanted was to prove them wrong. I suppose I just wanted to be able to live off it. Yeah. So touring around a van doing a a break play was absolutely that was all I needed to do. And now there are articles saying things like with headlines like Why is David Tennant always on my television? <laughs> Um, I mean, one of the reasons is you're, you're rather good at acting, so maybe that is one of the reasons why you're always on our telly. But the, the stuff you've done with Michael Sheen has, um, in fact, we interviewed Ruth Jones last week. Oh, yes. And Ruth uh, is obviously the Welsh connection to, to Michael. Uh-huh. And we were talking about Staged, and I'm afraid, I actually, this is the show that you do Indeed, with Michael which started Sheen. during lockdown, yeah. Which started during, yeah, and I'm afraid I described it as insufferable. Oh. Not because I didn't find it funny, but uh-huh. because you're actorial personas or very insufferable yes yes exactly we invite you to laugh at us though rather than be uh, infuriated by us i hope yes do you think you are the more thespian of the two of you or do you think michael out thespes you in real life in real life please oh he's much more of a thespian than i am definitely i mean he's not here to defend himself so i can get away with that how does that manifest itself I don't really know. I don't know that I can entirely back my argument up. I just feel like I, I should slag him off as he's not here. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think both of us are relatively normal, actually. And we're both sort of... I think that's 
probably why we get on. I think there's... Um, I, I don't know that either of us are wildly... Well, it depends how one is defining the word thespian. I feel like that word comes with a certain pejorative assumptions about it that aren't necessarily positive. OK, you, you might you might be right, so we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. Um, you actually had trouble getting into the building um, because there were some school children coming in at the same time. Now, if they had caught a glimpse of you, I suspect there would have been mayhem. Uh, so there was a slight delay. <laughs> is is this the Doctor Who problem, which does linger? And you're about that. There are new episodes featuring yeah. you, which are about to be shown yes. think, in the in the winter. That's right. Yes, um, I, I know it's a huge part of your life, but mm. it can be the whole Doctor Who thing. It's quite a responsibility being involved in it. It's, it casts a long shadow for sure, um, but the the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. It, it it takes on a, a a slightly different shape your life when when you're associated with something like that, and it's a it's a absolute privilege, but it does mean you 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 lose a level of anonymity for sure. And I remember Doctor Who back in the seventies when it let's be honest, it did look as though it was made on a budget of about seventeen pounds ninety. Yes, well, uh, it would, yes. Th- I mean, things have changed, haven't things they? Things have changed. Although our expectations have changed. I mean, as a kid, I was. I, I thought that was the greatest television there had ever been. I mean, it was. It was. It it was a brilliant show. I mean, yes, it was a, probably a little bit. The budget was a bit smaller than it is now, but that was partly to do with the, the nature of television at the time. Uh, and but it didn't get in the way of it being magical stuff. I'm trying to work out who your doctor would have been. Was it, it? Was, it was Tom Baker into Peter Davison? Yeah. Okay. That so, was my era. Right and. They were both well. Who was the most popular of those two with the with the Doctor Whoites? I can't remember. Well, Tom Baker did it for seven years. Oh, it must be him, surely. So, so, and the the long scarf tends to be quite a sort of an iconic reference even now. But but Peter's time on it was just as popular in terms of viewing figures and all that. It was that's when it was really at its zenith. So, what can you tell us about what's going to happen in November? I can tell you that I'm in it. Uh, I can tell you that Catherine Tate is back as well. Uh, it, and and Ross- she's your companion? She, well, as you'll remember, Jane, when we last saw the Doctor and Donna Noble together, uh, she if she were ever to remember who the Doctor was, her brain would melt. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm filling the yeah. listeners in because I know you've got that. Yeah, uh, so that's the dilemma we're stuck with. It's not giving too much away to say these characters are going to bump into each other again, but there's some stuff that we've got to uh, deal with there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm talking to the actor David Tennant. He's been in loads of award-winning TV. Uh, One part, though, he's particularly proud of playing is the dad in the BBC comedy drama There She Goes, where his character's daughter has a learning disability. And he told us where the idea came from. It's based on the very real-life experience of uh, Sean and Sarah, that are writers. Um, They have uh, a, a daughter with a, well, up to now, undiagnosed uh, chromosomal disorder. Um, the, the, the latest episode is, is sort of telling the story of them getting a diagnosis and whether that, what that changes and what that doesn't change and what that does to uh, your life when you, you because she's, 
severely disabled yeah. uh, and and uh, needs a, needs one to one care all the time and and uh, uh, they they love her deeply but obviously that's very challenging and and what they've done in we did two series in this final special is they write very candidly about it they, they, they don't hold back so at times it's deeply politically incorrect uh, it, it's at times it's very distressing there are also moments of great beauty and love um but but they are unflinching about what it is to have those challenges in your life and and to to confront the idea that this is not this is not what we're told parenthood is going to be. This is not what we aspire to when we uh, see the, 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 the line on the pregnancy stick. It's really awkward as a viewer. It's, it's good, actually, as a viewer to be made awkward occasionally yeah. by television, yeah. particularly comedy. And there is there are a couple of lines, as you say, in that one-hour special that was mm. on a couple of weeks ago and still on the iPlayer. Mm. Uh, where the whole I, series is on the iPlayer, yeah, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Glad yeah. you made that point. Um, where I, I did flinch and think, oh, no, no, I shouldn't laugh at that. That's just too bleak. And that's very much that. I mean, that's the the, the sort of tightrope that they live their life on. And uh, mm. Sean is a comedy writer. That's how I first met him. Uh, he writes on shows like Have I Got News for You, and and he's also a performer as well. Um, uh, uh, and uh, it, it, but so that's how they see they see life through that prism, I suppose. And that's the only way they can tell their story because it's it's bleakly comic uh, as their life is, and their life with their daughter Joey is. Is a is a roller coaster from moment to moment, um, and uh, I, I, I think it's one of the things I'm most proud I've ever done. There she goes. It's just it's honesty, and it's and uh, yes, uh, uh, like yourself, I have no lived experience of that particular type of parenting, but I, but I think as a parent, it, it it's it feels so relatable because you cast yourself in that role, and you think, what would that mean for my family? How would I accept that? What would I would I react? Like Sean did, like my character Simon did, and 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 and, and you know retreat to a near sort of alcoholic collapse at some point. Well, that is in the first series. I think yeah. you're spending your character is spending a suspicious amount of time in the pub. Yeah, yeah. And Jessica Hines, who plays the mom, who's a brilliant actress, yeah. but, but she is left to deal. Mm. Um, was that? The case in the writers' lives, do you yeah. know? Oh, it's, yeah. it's, so it's really I mean, honest. It's really just their life. Yeah. yeah, they've just changed the names and wrote it down. Um, and uh, it's that absolutely unflinching honesty about it that I think makes it such such a, a brilliant series, such an important series as well. It's meant so much, I know, to families who have children in those in, in that kind of spectrum of need. Um, and Because it's so rarely portrayed at all. And when it is portrayed, it tends to be rather sentimentally, rather sort of ripple dissolve and they all lived happily ever after. And of course, it's not, it's much more complicated than that. It doesn't mean that there's not huge joy and huge uh, uh, triumphs and wonderful moments. In, in... Well, yeah, well, you can say all that and I can say all that because we're not in that position, no. are we? Uh, but, but, but that's, that's how they would describe it themselves. Yeah, no, they, I, but they so... would also say there are these wonderful things, but there sure. is also a lot of it is rubbish and a lot of it is really tough. Yeah. And this is not the life I signed up for and here no. I am and, and it's... Um, I think what they did in, in, in writing that so beautifully was it was really, really important, really special. So if you had to choose between, I don't know, a time-travelling individual or one of your more gritty roles, uh, Broadchurch, I suppose, is another one that people obviously will know. Right, yeah. What, what would you pick? Oh, I don't make me do that. It's lovely to have that variety. What a treat. Um, the, 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 you know, it's such a, they're such different 
flavors and they're such to be able to to tell those different types of stories to to different types of audiences or even the same audience it's, it's a real privilege it's not you know. well you're also coming up in the new julie cooper yes is it rivals rivals, rivals yes. not riders it's rivals it's the second novel yeah I mean, I definitely, perhaps I'm more familiar with Julie's works than Bertolt's. Than Brecht. If, if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, I've definitely read this. And you are the, um, from memory, the very rather seedy, am I right, head of a local TV company? Yes, Tony Baddingham, Lord Baddingham, in fact. Um, he's a, he's a he, 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 I suppose he's the villain of the piece in some ways. Yes, he's pretty unscrupulous, at times rather Machiavellian, Um Eaten up with uh, with a little bit of sort of uh, class envy, and uh, and they're all in in the in the Cotswolds behaving despicably. <laughs> yes, I, I must admit, I can't. I can't be the only person who can't wait for this. Um, do you do you get any? Um, what do the tabloids call them? Romp, romp scenes. It's a Jilly Cooper adaptation. Everyone's well, everyone's romping furiously. That's uh, uh, what. But what's great? It's you, because it because it's. But, now, hang on, you haven't answered the question. Have you got some romping scenes? What do you mean? Do I do I have well, I been dealing with you, an intimacy coordinator? Your fans Is that the will question want to know. I, I don't think there's a character who doesn't in this story. Okay. Uh, so it's but, but it, you know the, this, these books. Well, I mean, she's still she's still working. She's about to publish a new novel called Tackle about, uh, this is about a football, football team. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But uh, this was written, you know, back in the mid eighties. So yeah. it's now a period piece. It's you know, it's it, it's akin to doing a sort of Dickens or something. You know, you have to approach it with that level of recreating the moment that it was in, mm. um, which of course brings to life all the uh, the, the, the the sort of politics. With, with the you know the the actual politics and also the sort of sexual politics of the time, we now see that with this uh, objectivity, which which is, makes it a fascinating thing to be to be doing. I thought of it that way, so it's it's still set in the eighties. Oh, absolutely! Oh, okay. oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. So the intimacy uh, coaches, I mean, back when you started, they were well, they just did not. No, it's, a, it's an addition to our industry. And for is sure. it the right thing to have oh, done? Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's an it's an industry that's funny. I think we have a fantastic one on our show. Um, she's she is the right balance of respectfulness and sense of humour, which is because it's a it's a tricky, weird thing to do, isn't it? You're having to recreate something that you know is the most intimate of moments. That's a very private, personal thing, and you're having to make it safe and you're having to make sure everyone is respected and at the same time you're having to make it look real and make it look a bit sexy and a bit whatever the scene needs to be perhaps violent perhaps perhaps it's about abuse there are all sorts of uh reasons for telling mm. uh, those parts of that story um and but to have someone whose job it is to make sure everyone's safe Everyone's covered, and that means you know that from every from every aspect of production, uh, nobody is is. Everyone feels comfortable with something that is a bit uncomfortable, and that's yeah. really important. So you never get over the oddness of no. Doing of it. course you don't. No. Of course you don't. I mean, you're having to sort of be in states of undress in front of. Uh, I mean, they're not necessarily strangers, but they're the crew you're working with every day. But that in itself is rather odd. How many people are in these rooms apart from... Well, the- you'll, uh, you, you, with, with a scene like that, you'll try and have a closed set, which means it will be a bare minimum of crew and the, the, uh, the, the, the monitors that are often linked up throughout wherever the production base is will be, will be closed down to just the right. absolute essential crew. So you, hopefully you'll get it down to a, a sort of handful. Um, just to, Again, just to make it a little bit less awkward and embarrassing and difficult and, uh, and, and so that nobody feels like 
their 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 work is being abused for the wrong reasons. Um, you are you're fifty two. I couldn't believe that actually, David. I'm going to just say that it's very true. Well, Unfortunately, it's. It's incontrovertible. Yeah, but how how do you do it? People will want to know whether you exfoliate, whether there's a moisture. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually deadly serious here. I don't know that I do anything particularly. Is it in your genes? <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm in the middle of a press tour at the moment, so there's somebody outside painting my face and making me look much healthier than I really am. Uh, so uh, it's all smoke and mirrors, isn't it? I don't know. How do you do it? <laughs> I'm 75, but I, and I don't... Oh, you are never I 70. I am, I know, it's amazing. That's nonsense. I know, it's incredible. I've never smoked, and I have a very, very clean living lifestyle. You are not 75. No, no, I'm not, David. Right, OK. <laughs> Thank <you>. Stop it. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> 59. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. You should have all of... Of course she's not. No, nobody did. David Tennant, um, struggling there to come up with a response to my assertion that I was 75. Um, but as I said already, it's the fact that my colleagues didn't rush to sort of be amazed. In fact, they seemed to be perfectly accepting of the notion that I might actually be 16 years older than I really am. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the discussion of rivals, oh, which yes. I'm very excited about. Um, so you were away, I think, a couple of weeks ago mm. when we had Aidan Turner, his co-star in Rivals, yes. on the cover of the magazine. Yeah. I'll get you a back copy. It's a good picture, he, Jane. Do you um, know what? He's he, properly handsome. Oh, he's properly handsome. Yeah. So he's playing Declan O'Hara. Now, he's one of the other. Um, he's the one who's not Rupert Campbell Black. So right. there's, there's basically three main men in and Rivals. Not Lord there's Tony Baddingham. Baddingham um, Declan O'Hara yeah. and um, River Campbell Black yeah. and Aidan Turner said in this interview that there is so much sex that they've got two intimacy coordinators wow. on to set. double up. I know. I mm. can't wait. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, this is, is it for ITV, this? Do we know? I don't know yet, actually. It might be for ITV, actually. I'm just yeah. trying to work out how, if it is indeed the rompathon we're all promised, how they're going to get away with this. Nine o'clock on a weekday mm. night? Is that... I don't know. I mean, I hope it's... I really want this to be scheduled in winter. I can't... Because I want people to, you know, bed down on the sofa with their little blankie and treat themselves to a bit of Jilly Cooper. I also um, can't believe... I mean, Jilly Cooper is hugely talented. And I one of the books I often go go back to just for a bit of comfort reading is a book called Class or Class. Have you, have you Class. read that? Class. Because it's so clever and so much of it is still absolutely true. Um, so she's a genius, but I'm slightly puzzled by how much she knows about football because I gather her new novel, Tackle, Tackle yeah. is about professional football. And I, the polo field, yes. Um, even local TV company boardrooms, yes. But maybe she's been hanging out in the changing rooms at the Arsenal. I mean, maybe. I, I can't see it. I can't see it. <laughs> Uh, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? Mm. Do you know what? I'm sure she'll put her Jilly Cooper spin on it and we won't care. You might care a little bit about a couple of, ina- of inaccuracies. Yes, but well, that's not actually you know. how the offside rule Maybe works. Maybe you should offer to be an advanced reader for her. I would. I would yeah, definitely. give, I would give actually, her a few tips. There's very little I wouldn't give to get my hands on a preview copy of Tackle. Okay, so that's my job for tomorrow. Yeah, see what you can do. Is it round and about? Oh, no. Not oh, yet. no, not yet. Okay. Well, ever but hopeful. I'll let you know. Well, tomorrow you will get, discerning listener to off-air, a brief review of Aspects of Love. <laughs> and just think how wonderful that's going to be and how it's going to enhance your life. 
Have a good evening, Jane. May nothing untoward occur to you in Las Vegas <laughs> in the you. foreseeable future. You enjoy London's own Las Vegas and the West End. We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout Play Times Radio at it. Uh, You can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Offer very soon. Mm-hmm.